Hello, hello, and welcome to the Matrunity Podcast, where we're chatting all things mom. Hi, everyone. We're back with another podcast, which is me and Megan. Um, and today we're going to be talking about positive guidance strategies, which we'll explain what those are in a minute. It's a little confusing, I know. Um, but first, we're going to start with our funny child story of the week. So it's currently dandelion season, at least at my house it is, and Tell loves to pick dandelions and give them to me, but the things he started doing this week is he picks one for each of us and then we do like little like cheers and smell them, kind of like you do like cheers with tea and then drink it. (laughs) I love how kids think that dandelions are like flowers and not weeds. It's perfect because the more they pick, the less that will seed. True. So we're going to go ahead and get into our topic of positive guidance strategies, and there are a lot of these, and so we'll probably only get through a few of them on the podcast today, but we have a whole blog series that is going to be going on about the positive guidance strategies. So when you go to the blog section of the maternity website, you can filter at the top by topic, and it'll filter all of the positive guidance strategy blogs into one spot for you. So we'll have the blog site linked below, and you can go check that out if you want to find more. Um, But Megan, do you want to start with explaining what a positive guidance strategy is? Yeah, so this is kind of like a technical term of the trade, I guess. And it's just, it is thrown around a lot. Um, And it kind of is, it comes from classroom management because in class, in classrooms, there's a lot of behaviors that you have to try and prevent, manage, deal with. So it's very comprehensive, but I think that there's um, a lot of value in using this in the home um, with, with your kids, because they're going to have conflict with you. They're going to have conflict with each other. Um, and it really can be helpful. So rather than trying to guide your children to behave more appropriately through punishments, um, you're taking the opposite road of um, guiding them through the positive ways to be able to set them up for success to behave appropriately. So we're just going to touch on a few of these. And the first one that I want to talk about is actually two different ones that are kind of two sides to the same coin. And that is active listening and iMessages, which you've probably heard of at least active listening. So active listening is something you should use when the child owns the problem. That means that if whatever the problem is, the child sees it as a problem, not you. For example... If your child is throwing a fit because their stick that was being a lightsaber broke, you don't care that the stick broke. You can find another stick. You don't have a problem with it. Your child owns the problem. They're the only one with the problem. So you would use active listening. And I'll come back to what that exactly means. But I want to explain iMessages are when you own the problem, which is exactly the opposite. So it's when I have a problem and my child doesn't care. So I have a serious problem that you're sucking dirt off of those worms. That's really gross to me. But your kid's like, well, it's fun. I don't have a problem with it. That's when you would use iMessages. So active listening is just, it's very self-explanatory. You listen to the child's point of view. If it's a conflict between children, you listen to everyone's point of view 
non-judgmentally, and then you help find a solution. But active listening is just listening and restating in your own words. So you're saying, oh, what you're saying is you feel super frustrated that there's not enough teacups for everyone in this tea party, right? Um, Naming the emotion is a really, this is a really good time to name the emotion. Um, It helps your child be able to put words to what they're feeling um, when you're restating it, but you're not putting judgment back into it. Active listening is also a really big thing in communication theory. Um, when you talk about like the communication model and things like that, active listening comes up a lot. And one of the key parts of active listening in communication is um, eliminating what we call noise. And so that's anything that's distracting you or making it so the messages get mixed up. And I think a lot of times you see this with parents when it's an issue that the kid's having, but the parent doesn't really care about, where they're like, oh, you're fine. Or like, (laughs) then they just kind of brush it off and they don't want to listen to it. Or they just keep working on whatever they're working on. And then the kid doesn't actually feel like they're being listened to. And so it probably seems self-explanatory that in active listening, you actually have to listen. But I think oftentimes, like I know lots of times, me and my siblings and my mom would have this problem where she would be on the computer and we'd be telling her something and she'd just like mindlessly agree with us and then later you'd bring the conversation up and she'd be like I did not agree to that I did not tell you you could do that and but I think that happens more than we care to admit that we're distracted by something whether it's just like you're cleaning or you're cooking and you're not really listening because it doesn't seem like a problem to you And so I think that eliminating that noise and actually taking the time to put aside what you're doing and sit down and listen is a big part of active listening. Totally. So then with I messages, it is, again, kind of self-explanatory. You start with I. I feel this. I'm having a problem with this. I, I, I. It's never like, you are such a bad kid. It's never you this, you this. So it's like, I have a really big problem with you sucking dirt off worms because there's a lot of germs in that dirt. Or I feel really frustrated that you won't even try this food that we made. I, anyways, you get the point. Um, And iMessages, one, model you putting vocabulary to your emotions. Two, model that... um, Other people have emotions. It helps your child kind of gain emotional awareness. And three, it phrases it in the way that it is, that it is your problem and we're going to work together. It doesn't try and make your kid be in on this problem because if you're solving a problem that you have, it's different than trying to bring them in and make them feel like it's a problem also. I feel like the one thing with iMessages that immediately comes to my mind is that it's not a I you statement because I feel like it's really easy to think of like a I have a problem that you're being a picky eater or I have a problem that you're doing this and I think it's more like important to say it how you were phrasing it that like I have a problem because of this thing that bugs me like I have a problem because I don't like the germs that are in the dirt or like whatever it is I think that it's really easy to think of like an I you statement yeah exactly like I feel really mad that you're doing this kind of it puts the blame on the kid and you're not I messages are not blaming the kid they're saying I have a problem I'm taking ownership for my problem so the next one that we're going to talk about is changing something about the context or the setting sometimes the problem that you're having can be changed by moving some furniture rearranging something um, it's a super easy fix so if you're having a problem 
for example, right now, Tell wants to drink chocolate milk anytime he's thirsty. We got a big pack of like juice box chocolate juice juice box chocolate milks. If that makes sense from Jake's grandma, which was super nice. But I just put them all in the fridge, and he can reach them. So he comes out, gets one. He can open them. And so then we keep having this argument of like, tell, you can't drink chocolate milk every time. You have to drink some water. It's going to make you sick. And so what I should do, which I have not done, <laughs> I'm going to go do this, um, is just put it somewhere else. Put it on a shelf he can't reach. Put it in the pantry since that one doesn't need refrigerated. Only have one in the fridge. Um there's like just moving it so that he can't just get it will solve the problem rather than trying to be like, all right, we're going to fix tell so that he doesn't impulsively drink chocolate milk. He's a kid. He's just going to want chocolate milk because has sugar in it. So there's a lot of times you can just change something and that can be the biggest solution to your behavior problems. The next one is a, another super easy one and that is giving choices or offering solutions. Um, Kids like to feel in control, just like you do. And so rather than always being like, do this, do this, do this, give choices. Do you want to brush your teeth or your hair first? Do you want to have toast or eggs? Do you want to wear pink socks or green socks? Depending on the age, for younger kids, for, you know, preschool, kindergarten and below, Really don't give more than two or three options because then that gets too complicated. You can't be like, do you want to go to the park or grandma's house or this or this or this or this? And they'll be like, oh. And then the other thing is remember to give choices that you're okay with. Don't say, do you want to have this? And this is how it often is, is you try and glorify the one you want, right? Like, do you want to eat this super yummy, delicious, healthy, full of nutrients smoothie? Or do you want to have candy for breakfast that's going to make you feel so sick? They're going to choose the candy, even though you said it'd make them feel sick and you glorify this one. So if you offer that choice and they choose candy and you say no, then you're not holding true to giving the choice. Okay. The next one, and I have talked about this on our Instagram, if you follow that a lot, is giving signals or cues about appropriate behavior. This is one that I use a lot. I have two ways that I really use that. One of them is saying, ready, set, go. So I'm like, tell, it's time to get our PJs on. Head to your room, ready, set, go. Then it tells him he needs to go right. Then that's the cue or the signal for the behavior. Then the other one I do is giving warnings. When we're going to be changing. I say, okay, tell, you have five minutes to play, then we're going to eat lunch. Okay, tell, you have two minutes to play, then we're going to eat lunch. Okay, tell, it's time to clean up and eat lunch. Um, just giving these little signals or cues. And a lot of these are kind of built into our culture, like putting your finger up when it's like, shh. Um, you can have just like pure body language cues and you can totally use common ones like that. You can make up some. These just help remind your child because they're not going to always remember what is appropriate behavior. But if you don't have to tell them every time, like this long explanation of it, if you can just remind them with a little cue, then it's just enough for them to keep practicing on their own. Okay, the next one I want to talk about is ignoring behavior. And obviously only do this if it's safe. If someone's getting hurt, don't do this. But a lot of behavior is um, happening because for attention. Um, and so this one really needs to be coupled with giving appropriate attention. So if your kid is getting really whiny 
about things, you can just ignore the whining, but then make sure you come back and really reward positive things. Like, oh, like you did this awesome, you did this awesome, you did this awesome. But then when they whine, don't give them attention. And that kind of fixes when children are whiny for attention, which as a mom, you can kind of tell. You can tell if they're whining because they're tired or because they're hungry or because they want attention. And so obviously if they're like tired or hungry, you shouldn't just ignore them. But if it's just for attention, you can ignore them and give them positive feedback about things that they're doing appropriate. Okay, the last one that we're gonna talk about on here is using intentional modeling. So this is basically being an example. Um, when you have a behavior, especially if it's an ongoing behavior, this is when you can really plan for it. Um, then you can start to show the appropriate way to handle something. And a big part of modeling, besides doing it, is talking about what you're doing. So for example, if you're trying to get your kid to brush their teeth more than just like swipe, swipe, you're like, all right, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm doing the tops. I'm going in circles. I'm doing the sides. I'm doing the, but you know, say all the things you're doing and do a really good job brushing your teeth when they watch. Another example might be, I'm feeling so frustrated right now that you're not listening to me. So I'm going to take a deep breath, take some deep breaths. I'm going to remember how much I love you and I'm going to do this solution. Just modeling those things that you're working on and talking about them, talking about the internal processes that you're having. Um, especially another one for older kids, especially with like homework um, or things that are hard to think through. Because I think a lot of times kids um, don't have the example of the mental work that goes through like, oh, this math problem is hard. I can't do this. So when you're doing something that you're thinking, talking about like, oh, this is really hard. I don't know this right away. I feel a, a little bit worried that I'm not going to be able to figure it out. But I know that I can if I keep trying and just talk through those mental processes, then your child will watch your child will be picking this up. It might not seem like it, but it's going to be ingrained inside of them, even if it takes a while for it to come out. Just modeling those things, just being a good example, basically. Yeah, I think modeling's a much bigger one than people realize. Having recently got married, I've been learning a lot about myself. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things that I keep noticing is I'm like, oh, like, I wonder why I do that different than my husband. And the majority of the time it comes down to, oh, my mom or dad does that. And so like, when my mom is really stressed, she'll go and just like play the piano. And or like, like, she'll just get away with it until she's got her emotions under control. And then she can come back to the situation. And I notice myself doing the same thing. I'm like, okay, I'm having a big emotion, I'm going to go do something else. And then I'll come back. And I think a lot of times, as you get older, you start to notice all these things that you do that your parents do that you didn't even realize you picked up from them. And so I think even without the talking, I think the talking makes it more effective and that they're getting what you want them to get from it. But I think even without that, your kids are going to copy a lot of the stuff that you do. Oh yeah, it's it's a huge thing. And I think that um, just being intentional about it is super important because that will, I feel like it kind of speeds up the process, I guess. Yeah. Yep. So those are just a few of the positive guidance strategies like we were saying earlier in the podcast. Um, we strongly encourage you to go check out some of the other ones. We have a whole long list of different ways that you can help 
encourage your kids to uh, do appropriate behavior in positive ways. Um, so if you feel like you are punishing your kids too much or you are afraid of punishing your kids too much, these might be some good ways that you can be more positive in the ways that you teach your children. Um, but like we said, they're on the blog. That and the Instagram will both be linked below in the description and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.